This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us on this fine Saturday. Man, we are getting towards the end of October, Halloween right around the corner. My name, of course, is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. I mentioned Halloween there. Are you guys all ready? Are you ready for the holiday? Are you, do you have got your costumes set? I've been taste testing a lot of candy, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm not dressing up this year. What? Okay. Maura? <laughs> no, so I... Haven't thought of anything yet. Okay, what about you? That's fair. I I'm gonna go as Ichiro in disguise. Nice. Yes. I like it. Yeah. From when he came out with the mustache. Exactly. The, yeah. It's also kind of a low maintenance costume. Just requires a hoodie, sweatshirt, and a fake mustache. So that's that's uh, right up my alley. I like it. <laughs> in the meantime, there's also uh, a, a pretty big event going on with you guys, right, Justin? Yeah. So Halloween is the 31st coming up this week, and then the next day at our facility in Eugene, we are officially launching our rum on November 1. So if folks are in Oregon and find themselves in Eugene, they'll be able to start getting rum from us down there in the the distillery and through the state liquor stores in Oregon. Nice. Congratulations. You guys have pretty much every spirit taken care of now, don't you? Well, not tequila, but uh, yeah, we've got we've got quite a selection, and we're excited about what we call the Commander's Silver Rum. It's based on a recipe that George Washington uh, declared was his favorite thing to drink, and in fact, he said it was the only drink allowed to be served at his inauguration. And so we thought that's kind of cool. So we found that recipe, and we made this Barbados-style silver rum, and uh, it tastes amazing. Yeah, we're just excited to share it with people. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, expanding into uh, into another area for heritage. So that's pretty cool. Sure. We'll make sure uh, people get down to Eugene and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. In the meantime, what is going on in the headlines? Well, first up in the news are folks at Esquire magazine, Esquire.com. Had an article coming up, Beer for Dogs is Exactly What This World Needs. Now, Mara, you have a dog, right? I do, Bruin. Bruin. Oh, that's a great name, too. Thank I mean, you. Think about that, <laughs> Beer for Dogs. Uh, Lydia, do you have a dog? Uh, I My brother has three dogs, and so uh, I, I'm, I'm an aunt of sorts, which is great. I get Got the it. best of both worlds. Good. Okay. Well, according to our friends at Esquire, Beer for Dogs exists. It's a real thing. It's the next logical step in evolving the bond between man and canine. Dogs can become our drinking buddies pretty soon. We don't need human friends at all, right? So, uh, what's going on here? The IPA a lot in the yard and Session Squirrel and Mailman Malt Liquor are three kinds of beers that have been launched by Good Boy Dog Beer in Houston. And Good Boy Dog Beer was started because the founders realized that they wanted a way to share their experience with their four-legged friends. It contains no alcohol because that would be bad for animals. Yeah. But it has items that are better for the dog's diet. One that they call crotch sniffing ale, for example, has unsalted nuts, whole grain oats, and cinnamon. 
Why do they call it beer? Well, because they use a lot of the same equipment from breweries. They just skip the fermentation process. So um, a can of Good Boys dog beer costs about $5 each. They're not male substitutes, so you can't skip the food, uh, but it is something that you would put in the dish next to the water and food dish for your favorite friend. So, uh, Mara, do you think <laughs> you would offer your dog a beer? Yeah, it sounds like a good treat. Be a good little stocking stuffer for brewing this Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I wonder what the, the breath of the dog will smell like. <laughs> and if the dog were to get drunk the next morning and wake up with a hangover, would you give your dog a little hair of the dog <laughs> to be found <laughs> later? <laughs> next up in the news, a supermarket in the United Kingdom is using facial recognition to track alcohol sales. How this do you feel crazy. about that? This is crazy. It's a little creepy. I think it's crazy enough on, you know, the iPhone. So this is this is nuts. Yeah, so this comes from the drinksbusiness.com facial recognition software for alcohol sales. They're using this. It comes from a startup called Yodi. It's being integrated into self-service tills supplied by one of the big companies called NCR. This means they're capturing other data somewhere else and uh how do you feel about that i don't want to get like all enemy on the state of, of you but it is interesting <laughs> that you we are so freely handing a lot of data or information or personal things over to a, a system any system of course we've talked about it on this show recently can get hacked so it's yeah. just kind of uh, it's one of those things where how i if you don't have anything to worry about really you there's no problem with it, but at the same time, you, it's kind of creepy that you're giving so much uh, personal, whether it's, yeah, your facial scanning. And on the lighter side else. of things, I was thinking that, like, the the next generation isn't going to be able to even have fake IDs, huh? Like, oh, that's just going to yeah, be out of the question. Right? <laughs> no, no way. not no at way. all. You can't do any, like, fake facial scans. No, that's not happening. <laughs> And, and, of course, you know, my wife, Jennifer, she looks so young and beautiful that she would fail every automated check by these things yes. because there's no way she looks 21. Right? Absolutely, just... yeah. <laughs> so false false ID, right? <laughs> She'll appreciate that I, that yeah. I said that. Love sure. it. Very true. Yeah. And uh, last in the news, our friend Elon Musk announces a bid to produce a Tesla-branded tequila called Tesla-Kila. <laughs> As if he didn't have enough going on in his life, he's going to launch this now he released this as an April Fool's joke on April 1, but it turns out they actually have begun to pursue the trademark for it. Uh, they have officially filed the trademark this October 8th. It is for distilled agave liquor and distilled blue agave liquor, suggesting Tesla could produce both tequila and 100% tequila agave. 40% ABV is probably what it would be. That's what they revealed on the, uh, the spoof that uh, was released April 1st. According to the trademark application, an earlier document was filed in Jamaica April 10th of this year. So people think this is really going to happen, possibly. And uh, if they do release it, it will follow in the growing list of celebrity-branded spirits to include George Clooney, Dwayne Johnson, Backstreet Boys, Sammy Hagar, and many, many others who are getting into the liquor game. Yeah, it seems to be, we've talked about it so many times, it seems to be quite the popular thing lately just don't drink and drive no 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 <laughs> even if it's tesla kila yeah <laughs> that's right 
Coming up on Cast Club Radio, are you planning a trip abroad? Well, there's some important drinking do's and don'ts, drinking etiquette that you should know if you're traveling to some popular countries. It's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thank you so much for joining us again. And we've talked about a couple of world travels on this on this radio show in the past. Recently, I came back from London, and that was an epic trip to see the Seahawks over there beat the Raiders. But if you are planning a adventure abroad, we've got a couple of etiquette pointers for you when it comes to the drinking do's and don'ts. Because I would imagine you're probably going to enjoy an adult beverage when you're abroad. That's uh, that's just part of the experience. So, Justin, can you introduce us to some of the do's and don'ts for drinking abroad? Yeah, we did some research and found some interesting things uh, that are considered good form and some that are considered bad form. Some, I think, would be surprising and some just involve a little bit of common sense. <laughs> um, for example, while meeting with a group of friends, it may seem like a simple pastime, but different countries around the world all have their own rules of raising a glass for instance, in Germany, it's bad luck to break eye contact when you're clinking glasses with somebody during the toast. Or in Spain, toasting with a soft drink could have unspeakable consequences. Now, I don't know what that means, but if I go to Spain next year, I'm going to try it and I'll report back to you what that means. <laughs> in France, for example, this says drinkers should spend time with their libation and drink slowly. It's essential to maintain eye contact with the person you're toasting with, just like in Germany. In France, it's considered bad form to start drinking until everybody's glasses are filled. Ice should not be added to wine, and glasses should only be filled halfway when it comes to wine. Now, I know Lydia would have a hard time with only filling her glass of wine halfway. Yeah, uh, come on. Most, <laughs> most people I know think it is bad form to add ice to wine. Do you guys add ice to your wine? I only do it in a desperate situation. If if I really okay. want a glass of wine and I've left it out and I just need to chill it really quickly, I'll do that. But yeah. but not not on not on the regular. And definitely not red. I've seen people do yes. that before. Red shouldn't that be chilled. That is weird. You you don't yeah. get the right notes from it. Yeah, I do. I, agree. I, I agree. do kind of like the the aspect of not starting until everyone's glasses are filled. I think that's just polite, but I probably would be guilty of violating that one as well. <laughs> well, I think it's proper etiquette. Uh, you know, when you're sitting at a meal, you don't pick up your fork until everybody's plates have been served, right? Exactly. And uh, especially if you're doing toasts, you know, you've got to make it around the group to make sure everybody has something in their in their glass, unless you want to ask for seconds before the toast. I guess I don't know if, <laughs> if that's if that brings on bad luck though. In Iceland. Drinkers like to stay out late, and nights often start after midnight, but you've got to pace yourself because drinks can only be bought in restaurants, bars, or very limited specialty shops. And in Iceland, it's considered bad form to drink another person's beer at a house party. Now, I think that's probably the same here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, definitely don't steal someone's, but it would also be weird to just find a random other person's mm -hmm. beer and drink it. So, yeah, I think that's a general rule. Did good safety precaution. Yeah, just only yeah. drink your drink. That's probably considered good hygiene. Yeah. In Japan, uh, Japanese culture suggests that alcohol should be served with food at all times. 
imbibers should remember to fill the glass of the person next to them. And when drinking with elders, it is polite to turn your head away. <laughs> That's really interesting. Imagine sitting with grandma at your table, and every time you go to take a drink, you've got to turn your head away so they don't see you putting the mouth to your glass. So I had how would that me... fly in your house? I had someone tell me that's true in Korean culture as well. Yeah, I think they said that for the younger people, it's it's almost more of a, I don't know, maybe you just shouldn't drink in front of your elders at all. So if you do, it's more of a respectful thing to turn yeah. away. But if you're the elder, can you just go go ahead and do whatever you want? I would think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, pro- yeah they can get away with whatever they want. <laughs> in Japan, uh, it is rude to turn down invitation to attend a drinking session with your colleagues. And it is also rude to fill your own glass. So what they say is it's proper to fill the glass of the person next to you, and it's improper to fill your own glass. So um, that that makes sense. So you have really to hope your colleagues are looking out for you. I was going to say, all yeah. in general, you've got to hope that your friends and the people around you are looking out for you to <laughs> fill your drinks and to not invite you out every night of the week. It sounds like peer pressure. It's rude to turn down invitations yeah. to attend drinking sessions. That's uh, it's a lot of peer pressure. Right? Yeah. In the UK, it is proper for drinkers to always take alcohol with them to parties. Okay. And uh, for those who are at the bar... It is polite to let somebody who was there before you order first. That makes sense, I think. That's probably polite. It's also proper to order what they call takeaway, uh, like kebabs and other things, at the end of the night out. That's considered the proper UK form. It is improper in the United Kingdom to, uh, when you're taking turns buying rounds, it's rude to go home before paying for your round of drinks. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's just common sense. Yeah. Then you're just sort of getting drinks on you're just getting free drinks at that point yeah i would say these are all kind of common sense these uh, gel yeah. with american culture in a lot of ways yeah now it's, it's not clear the way this was drafted if it's rude to order the drinks for the for you and your group and then to leave without paying that's totally wrong or is it rude to not even order your round and you yeah. just have taken off without yeah. ordering your round so need a little clarification mm-hmm. there finally in russia Remember, uh, you have to buy your alcohol before 10 p.m. because they stopped selling at 10 p.m. legally. Drinkers must finish their drink after every toast. And uh, if not, people think you disagree with what was said at the toast. Yikes, yeah. That's bad karma. Not good. Uh, In Russia, it is illegal to drink in public. You can drink in bars and restaurants, but not out in the general public. It's 1,500 rubles if you get caught doing so. Uh, And also in Russia, it is rude to lower your glass after a toast. Wow, a lot surrounding the toast. A lot of etiquette surrounding the toast. Those are important there. I'm going to always pay attention if I'm ever in Russia. Because I've seen some people, you just do the toast and then you take a drink right after. But I've also seen, the, especially with shots, people tap it on the... Mm-hmm. table or counters, table. whatever the surface yep. is, and then do it. Yeah. And yep. when they say you have to finish your drink after a toast, you have to finish it in one drink? Is it like a, <laughs> like one swallow type situation? Because that, that could also add some pressure. I think so. Yeah, in China, uh, when you go to the formal dinners, they drink baijiu. We've talked about this. This is that very high alcohol content spirit they have in China. And uh, the host will get up with a bottle and walk around the table. The tables are circular and will fill your glass or will come to you specifically and your response is to stand up with your glass. He will fill it or she will fill it and then you have to take shots together with them and they'll do this all night and it's considered rude 
to not participate when they come stand next to you. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah, ask. It makes if, for a painful morning. Yeah. I was going to ask, have you guys ever had any sort of either thing that you learned the hard way or just a thing that you learned when drinking abroad? Uh, just follow the customs and uh, be polite. Yeah, I would say we, we mentioned the Spain one earlier, how they said it's kind of frowned upon to have drinks with a full meal. It What, what I thought of when I was there was that most of the places just do tapas anyways. Yes. It's, it's, you just snack while you're there constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's really much of an issue. I, I don't think I really had many full sit-down meals there. You just stop into tapas places and snack and have drinks. Which, yeah, it's something I really appreciate because they might drink more often in the day, but it's almost like it's a lower consumption. So it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more like you said, a sampling process. You get to try a lot of great things. I did really love that about Spain and also Italy. Well, and they start so late for dinner. Yes, yes. Uh, when when we go to Italy, my wife and I joke, we go to the restaurant at 5 o'clock for dinner, and they know we're American because we're there at 5 o'clock or 5.30 for dinner because <laughs> we want to go to bed early. And in Italy, people don't show up until 10 o'clock. Yeah, and, and then they, dinner runs all night. And they course everything out. Like when I was there, even if you tried not to order an appetizer, there was a couple times where I got brought one. Like they, they were just, <laughs> they were disturbed by the. You will eat this. But then the pasta course is one course, and the meat course is a separate course, and it's it's a yep. lot of food. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of food, and no they're meat. all so skinny. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, a lot of walking. They walk everywhere. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another place where you can eat a lot of food is at the America's Test Kitchen Seattle Eats Cooking Food and Wine Festival. It's going on next Saturday, November 3rd, and features unlimited food sampling and lots of local beer, wine, and spirits. Heritage Distilling is going to be out there. We're going to talk to Jack Bishop more about it next on Cast Love Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley, and I am joined right now by Jack Bishop, the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. They are hosting an event here next Saturday called America's Test Kitchen Seattle Eats Cooking, Food, and Wine Festival. It's hosted by Fair Start, and it's going to be down at Bell Harbor and Pier 66. Jack, thanks for coming on with us today. Oh, great to talk with you. How did you get involved with America's Test Kitchen to begin with? So 25 years ago, it seemed like an unlikely idea. I was there with a couple of other editors. We said, we want to build uh, a magazine, Cooks Illustrated, um, that is focusing on helping people be more successful when they're cooking at home. And the magazine turned out to be incredibly successful, led to two television shows, America's Test Kitchen, which has been on public television now for 18 years, I can't believe it, (laughs) and Cook's Country, uh, also on public television, as well as another magazine, Cook's Country, book publishing, videos, online cooking school, websites, all with the same goal. We want people to cook at home, and we want to inspire people, and we want to educate people. Yeah, and it seems like that's the the main theme that you kind of do some of the legwork so people don't have to go through mistakes that they might normally make when cooking. Do you think that's what resonates most with people? Yeah, you know, I don't buy the argument that sometimes is out there in the media that people don't cook at home because they don't have time. I mean, let's get real. We've got time to spend on our phone and on our devices. We've got plenty of time to cook. But what I think is discouraging for people is when they cook and it doesn't come out very well. Yes. And that's generally because nobody taught them how to cook. And they may not have gotten a very good recipe, or maybe they didn't really understand the recipe. I mean, the recipe may have been fine, but they didn't know how to read it. Um, and so what we're really dedicated 
to making sure happens at America's Test Kitchen is that when you take a recipe um, into your kitchen, you're going to be successful because of the way we develop recipes, because we're going to tell you uh, which equipment you should be buying. We rate um, uh, pots, pans, knives, uh, spatulas, uh, garlic presses. We rate ingredients. So we're going to tell you if you go to the supermarket, buy this brand of chicken broth or this brand of chocolate because we've done blind taste tests and we think it's superior. Uh, We don't take advertising. That's why we're on public television. So we're really able to provide information that we think helps people be more successful. And we know because we're always asking people through surveys, focus groups, um, you know, is our our content working for you? Are our recipes working for you? Um, And so that's the mission of America's Test Kitchen. And that's been the same for 25 years. Yeah, I definitely think that you're right on that. I think that sometimes it's more out of a a fear of messing it up that people don't approach it as opposed to a time thing. I would say that that has been an issue for me. Listen, you you probably didn't grow up. I mean, a lot of people grew up not cooking. You know, maybe there's not a lot of cooking at home. And, you know, the schools are not going to teach kids how to cook. I mean, they've got enough else to do with math and science and reading and art and literature. So, you know, we view ourselves as teachers to get people started in the kitchen. Well, and another thing that I love that you do, you are the tasting lab expert on the show, and you help people find every top recommendations for everything from, you know, olive oil to feta cheese to even popcorn. How do you approach that? So we get all the top rated brands. We do blind taste tests in our test kitchen. And then on television, what you're seeing is I'm bringing the best product and a couple of flawed products. So, for instance, um, when we did a tasting of popcorn, which seems really kind of silly, bagged popcorn, (laughs) some of them were absolutely amazing, and some of them were soggy and awful, even though they were just freshly opened. And we found this expert, believe it or not, there is a leading expert at the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, who knows more about popcorn than you would ever want to know, (laughs) who helped explain to us our results. So we really understood that some brands were popping in such a way that they were extra crunchy. And some brands, when they were popped, because likely the variety of their moisture content left in the popcorn kernel, they were popping in such a way that they were more like styrofoam than crisp popcorn. Have you found maybe any consistent trends to where if you're at the store and you're trying to pick between one brand and another, any things that maybe can tip you off as to what might be better? Do not be fooled by fancy packaging. Um, (laughs) I'm not answering your question, but I think the number one mistake people make is they think if the packaging is really nice, it means that they must have made something really good inside. Has no relation. I've tasted... uh, thousands of products. And sometimes it's a sign of quality and that carries through to how pretty the label is, how nice the packaging is. But sometimes it's a sign they spend all their money on packaging and you should forget about what's inside that bottle or that can. I love it. I think that's a good tip. That makes sense. And I think naturally our eyes are, are kind of drawn to that and we do fall for that a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you get a sense that the product was made um, with care and thought, So, for instance, when it comes to olive oil, one of the easiest things you can do is see that it was grown, pressed, and bottled in basically the same place. And that if you see olive oil that says, contains oils from Italy, Spain, Greece, Morocco, Tunisia, well, that tells you that they were basically finding commodity oils and that they were looking for the lowest price possible rather than, hey, this is an olive oil that was grown in Northern California. 
It was pressed in Northern California. It was bottled in Northern California. Same thing in Italy or Spain. And so I think, you know, if it seems like it's a craft product where the people behind it really gave it some thought rather than a commodity product, that's always a sign that it's likely to be a better product. That makes a lot of sense. Well, people can get advice like this and chat with hosts from America's Test Kitchen and try a lot of food at this event, America's Test Kitchen, Seattle Eats event that's going on next Saturday. What all can they expect if they buy a ticket and show up? So I'm going to be there with my colleagues, uh, Bridget Lancaster, Julia Collin-Davison, Dan Souza. We're going to be doing demos. So we're going to be on a stage, you're going to watch us cook, and we're going to be doing taste tests. I'm actually going to be running a potato chip taste test all day. (laughs) So um, there's going to be dozens and dozens of Seattle restaurants there with tastes of their best dishes, all kinds of wine, craft cocktails, craft beer. Uh, It's basically an amazing food party that has... All the best of Seattle, along with uh, friends from America's Test Kitchen that hopefully you know from television, uh, hanging out at this really great party. That sounds amazing and delicious as well. <laughs> I know you mentioned, yeah, the, the local craft beer, wine, and spirits you can have there. Our sponsor, Heritage, is going to be out there. How do you think, as far as I know, since you do the tastings and you're kind of an expert on that, do you pay a lot of attention to how beer, wine, and spirits pair with food? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, having the right beverage makes your food more enjoyable. I mean, food and wine, um, they go together. Uh, Without um, the two components, the meal or the experience just isn't the same. And so, you know, this is a really interesting opportunity with dozens of dozens of dishes, um, some that we're preparing, some that the uh, chefs of uh, Seattle are preparing. And you can sort of pair them with different wines, different beers, different craft cocktails, and really come up with your own ideas. And because it's unlimited, Limited, you can go back and you know get the same um, item of food four times and pair it with four different beverages and see what you think. Oh, that sounds like such a blast. Where can everyone go to get tickets and more information on this event? So you can come to our uh, website. It's ATK Eats. That's ATK for America's Test Kitchen, but just use the letters ATK Eats. Dot com, and you can check out um, information about uh, the events in Seattle and buy tickets. And this is a 21 and up event, right? This is, yes. So unfortunately, leave your children at home. (laughs) This is going to be a grown-up party, um, and um, you're going to have a grown-up time. That's all right. Sometimes you need a grown-up party. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) All right. Well, Jack Bishop, thank you so much for joining us. We will look forward to seeing you out there next Saturday at the America's Test Kitchen Seattle Eats Cooking Food and Wine Festival. Thanks so much. You have a great day. Coming up next on Cast Club Radio, it's flu season right now. Could whiskey be the thing that cures what ails you? We might have to have Lydia test this one out personally. We'll talk about that next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us this Saturday afternoon. Uh, Before we wrap things up here and get you another great cocktail recipe... As maybe you've heard in my voice is evident, it is flu season. We're in the midst of it. Hopefully everybody got their flu shots and they are not dealing with any colds. But in case they are, we've got sort of a non-traditional medicinal option for you, right? That's right. You know, you heard the stories from grandma and grandpa where they talk about 
Uh, well, you know, back in the day when your mom was a, a one and a half year old and they were teething, we would take whiskey and rub it on their gums. And, <laughs> um, you know, we always sneak shots of this or that back and forth as medicine with the castor oil, whatever the story was, right? Back in the, the, the home remedy days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our friends at thethrillist.com, which is a great website, they say this flu season, consider whiskey instead of modern medicine. And uh, this goes into the discussion briefly about the merits of mixing up some of your own home remedies with what you may have in your liquor cabinet. They cite an article called The Kitchen, and that's spelled K-I-T-C-H-N-N. They're introduced to something they call bourbon cough syrup for grown-ups. Different than other grown-up cough syrup that you'd find at the drugstore, uh, they're using four simple ingredients, two ounces of bourbon, half of a lemon, four ounces of water, and one tablespoon of honey. Now, what else might we call that? Hot toddy. Sounds like a hot toddy. Yeah. Which works fantastic. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can just suddenly start calling it bourbon cough syrup. It's been a hot toddy <laughs> for forever. <laughs> I know. It's, it's crazy. But it's a way for us to segue into this. Uh, and anecdotally, the uh, article talks about in 1941, Time magazine uh, referred to whiskey as one of the cheapest and best painkillers known to man. Uh, you know, we've seen movies where before John Wayne goes to have the bullet taken out of his side or whatever, they give him a shot of whiskey and then they make him bite down on a piece of wood or leather belt before they go in to extract the bullet. They use alcohol uh, in the field to uh, as a disinfectant to pour into a wound. Lots of uses for alcohol. According to Time magazine, uh, whiskey for pain uh, was the name of the article in 1941, and two doctors were interviewed. They reported that a few ounces of booze raises their threshold of pain by 45% for two hours. Wow. that is! I wonder <laughs> how they came to that exact conclusion in 1941. 45%, such an interesting uh, number to land on. For two hours, yeah, a, a for two, two hour hours, too, yeah. And How also, what, what is the like scientific testing for that? It's just these two doctors like <laughs> drinking and testing out their pain threshold. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Punch me again. Yeah, Punch me again. Yeah. <laughs> Liquid courage. Uh, <laughs> the kitchen article uh, gives a little uh, trick to the recipe, though, for that hot toddy or what they call the bourbon cough syrup for grownups. They note that it's really the honey mm. that's doing the trick because it's acting as a natural chest decongestant and they say that too much whiskey can actually dehydrate you which is bad uh, so don't do that don't over imbibe uh, just consider this something to kind of get you past that uh, gunky phase where you're feeling now i will tell you what i do at home and i can't advise this because i'm not a medical doctor but i <laughs> have noted when i feel the effects of a sore throat coming on i will take a shot of regular vodka and i will gargle with it for 60 seconds wow and Ooh. uh that helps to uh, clear and get rid of any germs in my throat, and uh, huh. the um, I usually have pretty good success with that. Wow! Yeah, I see? haven't heard of that one. one of the, another one of these anecdotal lessons I mean, we're learning. I know you can use it as as an, a disinfectant almost. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's forty percent alcohol, and uh, if you are feeling really good, you can swallow it instead of spitting it out. <laughs> there you go. It does the same thing. Yeah. Well, whether it's for medicinal purposes or just for recreational purposes, uh, bourbon cough syrup slash hot toddy is something you can enjoy this fall. We also have another cocktail, of course, for your enjoyment this season. 
That's right. Last week we talked about the bat juice, which uh, had a couple complicated steps in it. This week we want to keep it very simple. Uh, it's Oktoberfest time of year, and those festivals are wrapping up and winding down. So we thought, let's keep it simple. Let's take the best of the beer that you can find that is in the stout category, uh, like a chocolate stout, a dark stout, something with really nutty roasted notes to it. And let's make a simple beer cocktail by adding a shot of BSB to that beer. And it'll take the beer and make it very creamy and give it, kick up the alcohol a little bit, but add those notes of brown sugar and cinnamon that are inherent in the BSB and really add more depth of character to that beer. Wow. Yeah, sounds good. It is good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very simple. Get your pint glass. Put a shot of BSB in the bottom, fill the rest of that pint glass up with your favorite dark, rich, deep, stouty type beer, and enjoy. Delicious. Perfect. Well, if you probably don't need a total recipe guide for this one, but in case you've missed any cocktail recipes in the past and you want to check them out, those are always available at heritagedistilling.com, where you can also find a link to download the podcast, including this episode, past episodes, etc. Yes, you can find us at 97.3 Cairo FM, where you're listening to us now. You can also find us at 710 ESPN on your AM dial. And you can find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. You can also find us through a link at our page at heritagedistilling.com. And uh, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and feel free to send us those questions. Everybody have an amazing Halloween and we'll see you next week. Be safe, trick-or-treating, and watch for the kiddos. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.